So this week, as I was getting ready for this message, I was, I was doing what, I, you know, what all pastors do, right? We watch videos. And I watched a Bible Project video on the topic of justice, and it began this way. This is great. They said, if you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. Yikes, right? If you were a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals because honey badger don't care. And if you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon the one and take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, you would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Why is that? Why do human beings care so much about justice? Great question. Well, today is the final installment in our series about becoming generous, joyful, and just people of God. And if our vision as a church is to embody Christ's presence wherever we are, then these are the values that help us to live that out. In Scripture, there's many qualities that define God's people. Uh, In both the Old and the New Testaments, we could make a really long list. But there's three values that I'd hold out, or those three values are three of us that I would, or three that I would hold out for us to aspire to as a congregation, because I think they're critical for this place, aka North Bend, Washington, Western Washington, and at this point in time, it's being generous, joyful, and just. Why? Why these three? Well, these three values rose to the top of my mind when we were reading through the first five books of the Bible several years ago, especially Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you've read those books of the Bible, you know, man, it's just easy reading, isn't it? No, not at all. I mean, there's these long, long lists of regulations and uh, commandments and festivals. I mean, it's very difficult reading, but what's clear is that from the beginning of time, God has tried to shape a holy people who are generous, who are joyful, who are just. And these three values start to overlap and support one another in very significant ways, both in Scripture and in our lives. And they help give us shape as a group of people who've been set aside. That's what That's what holy people means. A group of people who've been set aside, they've been given a special purpose, a mission to help build God's kingdom. So what if our friends, our neighbors, our community, the the people that we're in relationship with, what if they recognized us personally and also corporately because of our extravagant generosity, because because of our contagious joy, and because of our just dealings in the world? I'm convinced I'm convinced that would have more kingdom impact than anything else that we could do in our community. So two weeks ago, I spoke in generosity and how that reflects the heart of our God. He's a generous God. And generosity is taking a step. It's making a move towards other people. And uh, as we, it's in, and specifically, as we learn to manage things that God has given us, whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's our love. We're we're making a move towards others. Last week, Phil spoke on generosity, or I'm sorry, on joyfulness and being joyful. And joy is found when we're doing what we're fashioned to do, which is to be in communion with God and also with one another. It's one of the reasons that we can discover so much joy together in our church community. That's just one small reason why we do things like the lunches after church. I mean, not only is that usually pretty good food, 
But it's a chance for us to enjoy the extended family that is the body of Christ. It's a chance to just build friendships and get to know one another. And, and hopefully through that, people begin to have access to our lives. It's a really critical thing as we follow Christ together. Today, we're going to talk about being just. Well, as I alluded to in my introduction, we all care about justice as human beings, very deeply, I believe, even though we probably all hold differing opinions as to what justice should look like. And that's really where the rub exists. You know, the Code of Hammurabi is best known, or is probably the best well-known ancient law code, okay? So, so go back to your Western civilization classes, your history classes, however far that might be, and you probably learned about the Code of Hammurabi, which, you know, somebody found in a, in a desert far, far away. And uh, scholars have found even older codes than that one. The point for my discussion this morning is, why do you think those exist? Why do you think legal codes first started being written down? I mean, who knows how far back they go. They were probably oral, you know, oral tradition first, and then civilizations began to write them down. Why do you think they exist? It's because people wanted those codes. They wanted that structure. Uh, people needed a consistent way of dealing or deciding what's fair. They, they wanted a way to deal with conflict and structure society that didn't just end up and violence, why? People care about justice. How we treat one another as individuals and as a society matters. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a significant amount of writing about how God expects his people and their society to behave, to function. You know, finding the right words to describe and communicate on this topic in particular is a challenge because all of the terms that we start to use feel a little bit loaded. We bring our own understanding, our own experience to bear on the discussion. And honestly, a lot of our own understanding is incomplete. I mean, it's just our own experience, right? And often our experience is marked by hurt and brokenness. You know, talking about being just, I almost can't even say the word justice. Um, there is no other topic next to generosity that I myself, as a, as a pastor, that, that brings me more anxiety to talk about on a Sunday morning. And um, this, this topic, this one, you'd think it would be like generosity or other things that would would, uh, would do this, but this topic in particular has generated more sermon after action reports uh, than any other. And I mean, people are like, hey, let's have coffee. I'm like, mm, yeah, I said something and I don't, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just so easy to be triggered. I mean, see, people even walk out during the middle of the message. I'm so picking on Taylor. I'm sorry, I should have done that. <clears throat> She's never going to come back now. Um, but you want to have coffee and explain myself, you know, what exactly do you mean, Dan? Once I, I, gave, a, I gave a sermon on, on hospitality, all right? And I, I, I kid you not, I was standing right there. I hadn't even stepped off the stage. And a gentleman met me, and he was mad, I could tell. And he introduced himself as um, a first-time attender of our church. Turns out an only-time attender of our church. Because I, I talked about hospitality, and, what, and I defined it as that's 
That's loving and welcoming all people. And he met me at this age. He was mad because for him, it, it, had, it had connected in his mind to something that was happening in the world. And he said these words. He said, um, I don't want to welcome those blankety-blank, he used different language, Syrian refugees to Germany because that was a place that he visited frequently. And he didn't want to welcome them because those people are ruining that country. Now, at no point in my message did I mention Syria or Germany, although maybe I was kind of thinking it in the back of my mind because it was in the news everywhere. But he had connected those dots in the head, in his head. You know, if God feels this way about the orphan, the, the widow, the foreigner among us, then dot, dot, dot. And so I said to him, standing right there, I listened and nodded, and I'm like, wow, okay. I said, well, maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you something. Wow, wrong thing to say. <laughs> I, I, that set him off. He was really, really angry at me. And uh, that whole experience, you know, I didn't take that one personal. That was just like, I, you know, I'm emailing all my pastor friends after church, like, you'll never believe what happened today. But I've had lots of other appointments Maybe I shouldn't say lots, but I've had other appointments where it did feel personal. And people left our church. And look at me. Who am I to talk about justice? Right? The middle-aged white guy. What do I possibly conceivably know? I mean, I, I have friends that tell me they're corporate trainings. You know, they're virtually like, they're, the people like me have a gag order. You know, they, they can't talk at all because it's important for us to listen and I have many, many, many friends who are both pastors and minorities. And so I get to hear about their own life experiences and the, the experiences of people in their congregation. And honestly, I would be embarrassed if they ever listened to one of my messages because they would say it was weak sauce, okay? And still I have people leaving the church. So why would we talk about this? Because it's in the scriptures. Because it's part of the gospel. Because it's a reflection of God himself and his heart for us. There's something hardwired inside of people that wants the world to be right, fair, and just. You know, as, here's an aside, this isn't in my notes. This is such an easy segue, talking about how broken and messed up the world is. For you as a Christian, to whoever you're talking to, to segue that into like, yeah. And this is, God didn't create the world like this in the beginning. Like as an evangelist, this is like a gold mine right here for you to be able to connect with others. Because it's obvious, isn't it? The world's pretty messed up. But this isn't the vision of the world that God created. And you know, we can't fix it all on our own. That's why we need Jesus. I mean, I, I, I kind of just gave you the whole message right there. We can go home. But in the beginning, Genesis 1, God made everything. With the power of a word, he spoke the world, all that we know, into existence, and actually all that we don't know and haven't discovered yet into existence. And you'll notice that God didn't make everything the same. There's an incredible amount of diversity and variation uh, all throughout creation. I mean, even a built-in ability for us to grow, change, and adapt, whether it's geology or biology or the universe around us. There's a lot of diversity, 
There's a lot of differentness. And you know what God said about that? He said it's good. It's good. It's good. God created it good. And when God made men and women, he made us in his image. He set us apart from the rest of creation in that regard. And we were given responsibility to represent him as we ruled the earth by his definition of good and evil. That's the identity, or that identity is, is the foundation of biblical justice. The reason I was watching the Bible Project is because they put these complicated terms in such simple, vivid language. They described it this way. They said, all people are made in God's image. We're equal before him. And therefore, we have the right to be treated fairly and with dignity, no matter who you are, period. As Christians, that is the starting point whenever we talk about justice or whenever we talk about how we're going to treat other people. We're all created in the image of God, no matter who you are. So if there's someone or something standing in the way of that, it should matter to us personally. God has always clearly defined what's good and what's evil. And as the Bible shows us from Genesis 3 onward, human beings try real hard to redefine that for their own advantage. And we try and redefine what's good for me, and we don't really care if it's bad for you. As long as it's good for me, we're just going to run with it. The story of the Bible, it doesn't take very long for the world God created to unravel. Genesis 4, we got the first murder where Cain kills his brother Abel, basically from jealousy and, and greed. And once Cain, call, once, once, he, once Cain kills Abel, God asks Cain, he goes, where is your brother? And Cain says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, it's the ultimate of contempt and like, I just, passivity. Like, I don't care about my brother, even though Cain knows and God knows that his brother is dead. And so what happens next is interesting as it relates to the discussion of justice. God is a just God. Cain's sin demands a response from him. In the ancient world, the gold standard is eye for an eye. Okay, Cain takes Abel's life, so God takes Cain's life. But that's not what happens, is it? God lets Cain live, albeit with some consequences. God both judges Cain and shows him mercy. He drives Cain from the land saying he'll be a restless wanderer, and then Cain objects saying, well, someone else is just going to try and kill me. But God promises to protect Cain. It's an act of mercy. How do you think that whole scenario would have flown in today's media climate. You know, we would have podcasters and influencers and TV hosts. You know, they all would sit as armchair quarterbacks about God's decision from every conceivable angle, wouldn't they? Oh, God is inconsistent here. Justice and mercy. Oh, God is too soft. He was way too soft on, on Cain. Oh, no, God's punishment was worse than death itself. And on and on and on it goes. But the Bible demonstrates consistently an emphasis on both justice and compassion or mercy. Consistently, they're linked together. They're fundamental attributes of God. 
Justice and mercy are held in constant tension and in a perfect balance with one another. And as people made in his image, we should strive to do the same. So there's a number of passages when you start with Scripture. In the beginning, you go all the way through. There's lots of passages that link these two things that kind of highlight um, the need for us to act justly and show mercy. Most notable one is Micah 6.8. We'll put it on the screen for you. This is the NIV version. He's shown you, O O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? So you see the connection. Acting justly. It's not just talking about it and sounding off on Facebook or Instagram. It's actually treating others fairly. Loving mercy, or you could say kindness. It's the word in Hebrew, hesed, which is a very, very cool concept and word. It's God's faithful, loving kindness towards us that we're to reflect towards one another. And finally, walking humbly with God. Now, humble most certainly doesn't mean what we think of as humility. This is kind of the, like, not sure how to translate this. When it says walking humbly with God, it's talking about a deliberateness. Like, live God's way. Love, you know, act justly. Love mercy. Live God's way. This is God's way. He isn't all justice. He isn't all mercy. There's a balance of both. But there's another tension here, too. It's between the individual and the community. In verse 8, the what we just read there, where it says, oh, mortal, you know, that's to an individual. This is to you, singular. God's saying, you know, treat others fairly. You, singular, love others faithfully. You, singular, live God's way. But if you were to back up and look at, you know, kind of pull the, the zoom back a little bit and look at the whole passage in verse 5, it's addressed to my people. It's addressed to the collective community, the nation. So in speaking to the individual, God is addressing everyone. Here's what I want from all of you, plural. This is really, 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 really important. This tension between the individual and the community. Because you know how many times I've either thought this myself or I've heard others say, you see something that happens in, in the news, you see injustice, you see something ugly, and, and you, you either think it or you hear someone else say, well, I've never treated someone unfairly. I'm not racist. I'm not uncaring. As if that absolves me as an individual from caring about our wider society. Micah as a prophet a mouthpiece of God himself is addressing my people. Doing justice and loving mercy has to start on an individual level, but it doesn't stop there. We don't just check out passively and go, well, since I'm not doing this, then I don't have to pay attention to anything else that's broken around me. That's not God's heart. What about the wider community? Do I care? Do we care what's happening around us? And this is the point where people usually sit back and decide that they're going to make a coffee appointment with Pastor Dan. 
right? What exactly are you talking about, Dan? And that's a fair question. Because this is where it gets complex, right? How do we live this out genuinely as followers of Christ? And the first thing at that coffee appointment that I'm going to ask you is, what do you think the Holy Spirit is saying to you? And why? We have to have the Holy Spirit's voice in our life to navigate this stuff because it is so hard. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you and why? Micah is simply appalled by people who are going through religious motions and outside of worship time, there's no spirituality, no connection to God. There's no in-the-flesh evidence that you are living his way. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Acting justly and showing mercy, they're all hallmarks of God's people back then, still today, because they're a reflection of God himself. So this biblical concept of justice, it's definitely linked in tension with God's mercy, but it's also connected to something else, righteousness. A couple weeks ago, I was trying to help find a prayer or something for Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday, which happened last week, and I was out of town, so I was kind of doing some research for Angela, and I found, uh, I found a, a prayer by Martin Luther King Jr. that really got my attention. He said this, God, help us as individuals and as a world to hear it now before it's too late. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's justice, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. quoting Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 33. But you know, that's not how I learned that verse. Maybe you noticed this too. Here's how I learned it. I learned it this way. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Martin Luther King Jr.'s prayer highlights for me this connection between God's justice and God's righteousness. In biblical terms, this is often the case. Justice and righteousness are like one and the same. And yet for most of us, it might feel a little odd to pray it this way. Seek God's kingdom. Seek God's justice. What does that mean? I mean, is Martin Luther King Jr. changing the translation here? No, that's a perfectly acceptable rendering of that verse. And the reason for it is this. In Matthew 6, when Jesus says righteousness, uh, the Greek word behind that is one, dikaiosune. And it can be rendered either as righteousness or justice. And that's because when the Hebrew Testament was translated into Greek, this all happened before Jesus' time. So, uh, and in fact, Jesus and the disciples know the Greek version of the Old Testament. And so when you read the New Testament and you see you know, it being quoted, sometimes it doesn't go word for word with our translation. That's why. It's because they're quoting the Greek Septuagint is what it's called. So when the rabbis did this translation, they decided that dikaiosune uh, would, would translate two different Hebrew words because the concepts are so interrelated and overlap. The first Hebrew word, 
and, and you'll say this with me, it's sedeka. Sedeka starts with a T, T-S, sedeka. That means righteousness in Hebrew. The second Hebrew word was mishpat. Mishpat, that means justice. And this is where it gets really, really, really interesting in my opinion. Righteousness, it's a Bible word. It, it kind of makes us think of being good. So the Hebrew word tzedakah means to be honest, just, and right. It's an ethical standard especially as it applies to how we interact with one another. That's righteousness. It's about relationships, right relationships between people. Uh, if you take this back to what we were talking about in Genesis just a minute ago, it's about treating others who are made in the same image of God as you with fairness and dignity that they deserve. Sedeka. Then there's Mishpat. Mishpat deals with justice. Justice in kind of two different veins. First is the one that we would associate with like the justice system, okay, like courts and justice, criminal justice. You know, if we're wronged, we expect the court to deliver us justice. You know, if you're wronged, then the offender is going to be punished. I mean, there's a lot of that in the Old Testament. But there's also this other flavor, this other vein of of justice. It's what we would kind of call restorative justice. It has to do with restoring people's well-being. It has more of a communal and society flair for it. For example, Jeremiah 22, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, act with justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor, oppressor anyone who has been robbed And do no wrong or violence to the alien. That would be like a resident alien, an immigrant. The orphan or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place. Or here's another example. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. Speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Or how about Psalm 146, 7 and 9? Seven through nine. Um, who executes justice for the oppressed? And this is talking about God. Who gives uh, food to the hungry? The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts those up who are bowed down. The Lord loves, right- loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. That's, again, that's like a resident alien or a, a foreign person or an immigrant. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So, like I said, these are threads that run through all of the Old Testament and the New Testament, too. Taken as a whole, it starts to expand our understanding of righteousness and what being good means. It includes looking out not just for my own self, but also for the well-being of the vulnerable in our society, the alien or immigrant, the orphan, the widow, the poor and needy, the depressed, or the, the oppressed, the depressed too, but the oppressed. And in that psalm, we hear an echo. Giving food to the hungry, setting prisoners free, giving sight to the blind, lifting up those bowed down. What does that sound like? It sounds like Christ. It sounds like his work to inaugurate God's kingdom here on earth. This is why Martin Luther King Jr. is praying for what Jesus said. 
that we would seek God's kingdom first. That's heaven breaking into earth. That we would seek God's justice. That he would continue restoring, redeeming, making whole again people and societies over the whole earth. You know, that's the vision of the New Testament. That's what, when Jesus comes again, you know, this is what we're looking forward to, that he's going to restore, he's going to make new or renew the whole earth around us. He's going to set things straight once again when he judges the earth. This is what all of us, uh, the redeemed of Christ, we're to continue proclaiming him crucified. We're supposed to continue to work to build his kingdom. People who are generous, joyful, and just. And you know, when we do this, we're not going to do it the way the fallen world around us wants to, you know. Whenever we get into the worldly discussions of how to set the world straight, I, I get weirded out right away. Because it seems like just another broken power play. And that's not how we're to do it. We're to surrender to Christ first. The Apostle Paul says to the Colossians, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. It's justice. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, this is the righteous balance of God's justice and mercy displayed in Christ. Here's why I talk about all of this. It's because... In my life, whenever I enter into discussions about this with Christians, I just walk away feeling frustrated because one group will camp out on the justice, the salvation significance of the sacrifice of, of Christ and the substitutionary atonement. I'm using lots of theological language, I know, but it's all about God's justice being satisfied in Christ and the mercy that we get because Christ did it all for us. And they'll just camp out on that and never talk about the other side of justice in God's mind where there's this vision for a new reality and a new kingdom and a new way of being in the world around us. And it starts with you, follower of Jesus, because the Holy Spirit is transforming you. And then, then, the other, then you'll be in discussions with other Christians and they are super excited and motivated to get out there and change the world. And yet it's all under their own power. And they forget that, no, the reason that we can do that is because we've been set free. And of course we can see the oppressed. And of course we can see those who, are, who need healing. And of course we see those who need to be saved. But it starts with this Holy Spirit you know, infused power first. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on to this vision that even Martin Luther King Jr. was praying for. Seek first his kingdom and God's justice. It's both of these things. And the reason why I am always nervous about talking about this topic is because we get stuck in one of those two sides. We can't fix the world on our own. We're not strong enough. 
We need the powers and authorities to be disarmed. They've been triumphed over by the cross. But at the same time, we're not just going to talk about salvation and, well, hey, you know, really, we just need more people to be saved, even though, you know, they're living in the gutter. You know, like, of course, there's an act of mercy. We care about people. And sometimes we need the act of mercy first before they're going to listen to us about the saving work of Christ. This is so, so critically important. And so when we talk about being people, holy people, who've been set aside with a mission, a mission that God has given us to be generous, joyful, and just, the just part, in my mind, is huge, huge, because this is the work of Christ in the world among us. So how can we become more like that? I don't know. Well, I do know. We can follow Jesus and listen to him. But there's a lot out there that's broken. Where do we start? We start by listening to God's spirit and obeying him. We start by showing mercy. I mean, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan was told when someone said, well, you know, how do we receive eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, you love God and you love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Which is to say, well, who do I need to care about here? And Jesus says, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then he, then he asks the guy, he's like, who, who is a good neighbor? And the answer is what? The one who showed mercy. This is so significant for followers of Jesus. And we need him to help us figure out how to be merciful in the world around us, how to balance this, you know, the balancing act of God's justice and God's mercy rather than just being all about one or the other. So I've given you more than one sermon's worth of information to think about for this morning. And I'm going to land the plane here. Please join me in prayer. Lord, the heart of your scriptures and Christ's call to us is to love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And sometimes I just don't want to do that. I, I mean, it's so inconvenient, God. Not the loving you. I, I can do that. I can do that. But the loving my neighbor... Sometimes I'm just really frustrated or annoyed by them. Literal neighbors, yes, but then, you know, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to care about? Well, maybe you've laid it on our heart to care for one of our global neighbors. Maybe you've laid it on our heart, Lord, to care about someone who's not just an immediate neighbor. I mean, these are all your children made in your image. Help us, Lord. Help us to treat everyone fairly and with dignity. Help us, Lord, to do justice in the world around us. Help us to love mercy. Help us to walk humbly with you, Lord. This is our prayer. We pray it in the name of Jesus.